everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. This is the first show of our 15th year on air. That's true. That ain't bad. I know. All right, and let's get into it. I do want to mention that you emceed the Embassy Chefs Challenge uh, two nights ago, and uh, that was some event. It was some event. 1,600 people showed up at the Embassy Chef Challenge uh, earlier this week. Uh, multiple winners because there was a People's Choice Award, as well as judges who were walking around eating over uh, 39 dishes from 39 embassies. It was a lot of food. Uh, I was not judging this year because I was up on stage. But I have been traveling around the city for the last three months, interviewing different ambassadors and their chefs and talking about the rich culture of uh, these countries in and around the D.C. area and then got to culminate it on Thursday night. It was really an amazing, an amazing event. And I am so grateful to Events DC and to Hanson Warner for incorporating me in that massive project. Yeah, I mean, to have food from Azerbaijan was amazing. An oh, and Egypt. Um, yeah. But the winner, so I do want to give a shout out. There was a Pakistani chef winner who was just amazing and darling. And the Philippines won the People's Choice Award. And uh, that chef is actually doing a pop up right now at um, what's the bagel place down on H Street? Um, I call your mother. No, Bullfrog. Bullfrog, Bullfrog. Bagels. So uh, definitely check that out. I have all that info on the list. Are you on it? And I just gave an in, inadvertent shout out to call your mother. So, yeah, there I, you I, go. I, I can't <laughs> lose. All right. So let's get into the show. Of course, Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets is going to be telling us about all the holiday fun and We're food. We're talking out tarts. There. We're talking tarts. Let's talk tarts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always have a drink segment today. Nicholas Lewis joins us from Bardstown Bourbon Company in Kentucky. They're a relatively new company. And they got great whiskeys and a great story. We're going to hear all about they that. They launched during the pandemic. Crazy people. Well, they must have been full of whiskey when they did that. <laughs> right. I would be. All right. And our next guest is an all-around good guy, a James Beard Award recipient, one of America's most influential restaurateurs, and he knows Sammy's in Mendham, New Jersey. That's so, also true. <laughs> so, I mean, he's a good. He's Michael Schau, uh, Schlau, and his property on 14th Street, which was Tico, is magically transformed into Namako, uh, which is a Japanese-inspired restaurant. We had an amazing meal there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's joined with his colleague, um, also an award winner, uh, pastry chef Alex Levin, uh, who serves as Michael's Director of Strategic Business and Pastry Programs. So we're going to hear all about Namako. And everything else. Candice Mensa is a D.C. native. Her parents immigrated from Ghana, and she stayed connected to her cultural roots. We had a great talk before the show, mm-hmm. and she she learned how to cook uh, Ghanaian uh, food. Her restaurant, I want to say it right, Hey Jola. Hey Jole. Hey Jole. Uh, will open soon in D.C., but you might know her from a pop-up she did at the Tyson's Galleria. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't wait because it smells so good. Mm-hmm. And are you up for some oysters? Just say shuck it. I love that. <laughs> I wait all year to say that. Uh, the ninth annual Georgetown Shucket Beer and Oyster Festival is back at Georgetown Harbor at Tony and Joe's. Uh, it's Saturday the 22nd. It's oysters, beer, and wine, barbecue, music, and fun every year. We have a blast. Um, it's Nikki will hate this, but it's always a hootenanny. Does anybody remember that word? Greg does. I hate that word. So Greg Caston, who's CEO 
I hate uh, that word. The tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse, Tony from and Joe's. your vocabulary. Nick's Riverside Grill. And The Point DC is here with Dwayne Gator Thompson, mm. who by anyone's measure is the world's greatest oyster shucker. You're a real shucker. Am I right? <laughs> okay. All right. Why don't we start with Deb Deb Moser. Deb, um, it's fall. I can tell by Let's talk tarts. the fact that the heat's on at our house. Why are yeah. we doing tarts? Tell me, Deb. Why are we doing tarts? Well, we've got fall is the best time at the market to really delve into those vegetables. We've got things like fennel is back. We have baby uh, peppers that are really great, sweet, sweet onions, and delicious figs. Oh, so we're talking you put savory all tarts, right? We can do savory yeah. and sweet tarts. Exactly. So we're into, we're going to do, we're going to bring it back to the fire pit. Mm-hmm. We're going to use our pizza oven to make a tart and put all of this on a tart with some goat cheese, mm. throw it in the pizza oven and sit by the fire pit and eat your tart. Finally, that's we're going to use our fire pit. I know. That sounds amazing. I know. Well, gosh, this is fall and we only get a short period of time to do it. So let's do it. So all this amazing food is at the market mm-hmm. and use your creativity. Be creative. Go out of the box. Well, Go can outside. we also talk about, because it's gourd season and I love ornamental gourds. I have like an a natural attachment to them. Um, are you guys? Do you guys have a ton of them there right now? We have tons of gourds, tons of pumpkins, tons of squashes. You know, mm-hmm. we're all getting ready for the holidays, and before you know it, it's going to be in our faces. So yes, they're in. And I'm um, like waiting course, for the holidays to be over. That's what I'm doing. I'm no, like, let's skip always, the holidays and go right to summer. <laughs> That's what and I hopefully want. this year it'll be a little a little better. But you know, we'll see. But. Mm-hmm. Um, Check out the delicata squashes. They're delicious. I love um, grilled. Uh, we smoke them. Mm-hmm. So smoke them if you, you know, got them. Okay. I was wondering right. what was up with you guys. You're smoking gourds. <laughs> we are smoking gourds. Why don't gourds, you try yes. banana peels? It's much more <laughs> okay. effective. Right. All right, Deb. Tell us uh, where the markets are because there has been some movement, which is great. Right. Well, Bethesda's back at the school at mm-hmm. 7600 Arlington Boulevard. So we are back for the season. We're gearing up for all the holidays. Um, just want to mention to those listeners that have children, all of our markets will be giving out Halloween bags. So come on uh-huh. out to the markets. Ooh, let's, go. Uh, let's go trick or treat. Halloween weekend. All right, and, Deb. Um, you can find all our information at uh, centralfarmmarkets.com. All right. Great. Thanks, Deb. We'll see you all next right, week. Uh, all thanks. right. Thanks, Deb. Nicholas Lewis, step up to the mic. And give us the 411 on Bardstown Bourbon Company. Wait, but I'm going to interrupt to tell David that you have two dogs, yes. and one of them is a great pure mix. Oh, good oh, boy. Oh, yeah. I know. Golden um, Retrieve, a great bit. You're a member of the family. Yes, oh, you yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Where's that so, accent from? You're from Brooklyn, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, I drank too much uh, scotch, so um, <laughs> I was actually born in New Jersey. Um, no, uh, I'm from Buckinghamshire. I'm just north of uh, London. It's God, it sounds hour. so great. Buckinghamshire sounds so exotic. <laughs> You know, we're from Kensington. That sounds like we're from London, too. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stupid Kensington, Maryland. Yes, okay. Exactly. Well, let's hear a little bit about the company and why it launched during the pandemic. So Bardstown Bourbon Company launched. Um, we filled up our first barrels back in 2016. But when we're talking about here in the DMV, we actually launched in 2020. Um, I launched and got the license on the 1st of March on our first POs to bring in product into the area. And then obviously we went shut down about a couple of weeks later. Congratulations. Great timing, dude. <laughs> so great it was timing. wonderful timing. Right. So we've still got a lot of work to catch up. However, we've got um, some great team that's helping us out. So back in Kentucky, though, where our home base is, the town of Bardstown itself is the bourbon capital of the world. Hmm. We've got wonderful, great heritage brands like Heaven Hill, Maker's Mark, Jim Beam, Four Roses, some of the best bourbon uh, makers in the world there. 
So are, people, are people allowed to drive in this town that there's bourbon Ooh, capital? Uh, it's frowned upon. Is it still a horse and buggy? It must be horse <laughs> and buggy, right? There will be horse and buggy. Stay the right. um, So we've got this wonderful bourbon trail, and obviously there's a lot going on there. But however, the kind of culture stayed a bit stagnant. We wanted to bring some more modern transparency into the products. We absolutely respect myth and legend. But what about uh, the consumer nowadays wants to know more about the actual product? They want to be able to see the they process. Want to, they, they want, want to, to see know. the transparency. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for example, for us, we were also the first on the Bourbon Trail to put a kitchen, bar, and restaurant all under one roof. Mm. So, in 2016, when the laws changed, that's just as we were building our facility. So, then suddenly we were go ahead on the restaurant. So, now we've got one of the best fine dining restaurants. Um, and it's not I see you looking me. at the chef in studio, like it's a really good oh, restaurant. I swear to God. <laughs> it's a really good restaurant. Uh, and we do pairing menus. And that's where we're not just drinking whiskey neat. Mm-hmm. I would probably say 90% of this room that we have right now, we're going to be pairing it with some food. We're going to be making co- cocktails out of it. We want more complexity to it. Mm. So rather than just having a single barrel, which we absolutely love and adore, it's like listening to a chorus. That's part of your song. But you like to listen to the whole song, and that's where really the blending world comes into it. Okay. We're going to get back to you. Tell us what we're drinking first. So we're going to be drinking our Fusion Series. So the Fusion Series for us, it's a blend between the old and new. Where I said we respect and honor that tradition, mm-hmm. we're sourcing 30% of this whiskey. Excellent. Our whiskey's still too young to be able to be bottled. We want to make sure that we've got a minimum of six years on any of our releases if we're releasing it 100% our own. So we've done a fusion between old and new, 70% made by us, 30% sourced. Excellent. Why don't you hand that out? We'll come back to you in a bit. All right. All right, Michael Schlau and Alex Levin. Two words, Michael Schlau. And Alex <laughs> Levin. You need Alex, to say more well, than I'm that. I'm going to say four words and Alex Levin. So, well, Michael, rather than me reading the list of, you know, all the things you've accomplished, why don't you give us a, a quick 411 on you so we get positioned to be able to talk about Namako. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing to say. I'm, oh, I'm, come on, come don't on. Be <laughs> okay. Don't be But modest. you've been in the D.C. market for a while now. What yeah. brought you? You were, I mean, you were out of Boston initially. Yeah. I mean, so what brought you down to the D.C. Well, market? Originally, I mean, I had a lot of friends here. And my, my dad was from here. My dad mm-hmm. grew up here in D.C. And uh, I was lucky enough to work with some chefs here when I was a kid. I would come and stay at my grandmother's house. And I would get to go to some, some restaurants and work around town and became friendly with some of the old-time chefs here. That, you know, the OGs? Well, you know, the Jean-Louis Paladins and Roberto Donas and Francesco Ricci's of the world, they were my idols, you know, and so I got to become friendly with them. And um, But then I became friends with a lot of chefs here in this area and would come and visit. They'd come visit me in Boston. Uh, mm-hmm. They had this great thing here called Chefs Without a Cause, mm-hmm. if you remember that. I and do. they, I, I remember them all getting on a bus and showing up in Boston one day and us taking care of them and taking them to Fenway Park and whatnot. And uh, so it just... It's so there's always been a connection here for me mm-hmm. since I'm little, and uh, just it's a great food town. And so we uh, we set up shop here uh, about eight years ago and built a few with, restaurants uh, with Tico. Actually, Tico was right? first. Yeah. Tico on 14th. You guys were early settlers on that 14th. We Street were, and strip. I remember telling my dad, who again had you know, we, I, I was born in New York, and my my parents lived in New Jersey. And uh, long story short, when I told my father about my first restaurant deal that I had signed. Uh, I, I won't curse and tell you exactly what he said, but he said, are you out of your effing mind that that's where you're going to open your first restaurant? I wonder he, what he meant. Yes. Right. Uh, well, because he remembered 14th Street from when he was a kid, yeah. and it was a really, really yeah, rough, yeah. Street. rough street. And now you've got all these amazing restaurants and places to shop and beautiful Retail. homes. Well, P.S., it's a big space, too. Ours is a good size. It's about 5,000, 5,300 square feet. And when we when we had Tico, it did great for a really long time. But we, we really suffered during COVID there, and it was— but a, also, I mean, to your point, it was 
eight years ago. Yeah. And while it was a great concept, you know, both of you, everybody in here knows, you have to evolve to, uh, you know, give the neighborhood what it wants. Yeah, and the street has changed. You know, so mm-hmm. when we first started, there were a few restaurants of similar concept, but just a few. And now I think we counted there's nine restaurants that were Latin-influenced. And yeah. so the one thing that the area really lacked was a high-energy, sexy, fun Japanese restaurant. And we wanted to do that, and we had the team to do it. And so we uh, we made the renovations, and we opened Namako uh, about a month ago. I think we can say that you achieved it because we ate there, and it was terrific. But so how did you both go about deciding – well, how did you hook up with Alex, first of all? Oh. Um, you should ask that. Okay, go ahead. We met on J-Date, not TC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, 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 had, we had a good swipe, match. Swipe, swipe. Okay, yeah. why not? Um, Alex uh, was working at uh, Osteria Marini, and I was a huge fan of his pastry and the work that he was doing. But I, when I would go but to the can restaurant— can I interrupt? Sure. I mean, when Alex came to town, because I was here when Alex came to town, um, you know, he, he changed the conversation— for pastry chefs in this city. For sure. I mean, not to lay it on, Alex. That's but like, very sweet of you. Wait a minute, he's preening like a pigeon over there. No, I'm getting you red in the face. You came to town when <laughs> Tiffany McIsaac, like there was just- it There was were a, very few pastry chefs at the time. There were a few pastry chefs and you and Tiff and like a couple other people started raising the value and uh, of what the pastry chef brings to a restaurant. Agreed. Do you know what I mean? They weren't just back in the kitchen rolling out the dough. Like you were coming out and making your- your pastry is really a part of the menu. It just wasn't a But also his personality, Nikki. Yes, I mean, if you think about, like one of the things that I was so impressed about was when I would go eat there. You know, I met Matt Adler and I was impressed with him and and, and his prowess and his ability to cook oh, and run. Great. And you know, Matt's done a great job in in his career and continues to to build beautiful stuff. Um, but Alex on, was on par. He would come out afterwards and bring out these desserts, and I was just really impressed with him. And said, if you're ever you know, looking to do something different, um, we should talk. And so, and we did. And I would come meet Michael at 7.30 for breakfast at the Rigsby sometimes, and mm-hmm. we would have just deep conversations about what our shared goals were and what we wanted to start to build together. Okay. On that note, we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We're talking about the changing of a restaurant in the Schlau Restaurant Group and amazing Sipson Studio. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Michael Schlau and Alex Levin about uh, Namaco, this new restaurant that well, replaced so you Tico guys down on 14th changed, Street. Right, so you changed the concept. Yep. And, I mean, you're going – so did, in your vast uh, catalog of restaurants, were you already executing some Japanese-inspired concepts? We were, yeah. So we had uh, consulted on a project outside of Detroit a few years ago called Adachi – Mm-hmm. And we had a great chef and a great team there, and we really enjoyed our experience there. And I've always oh, you had that little place. We have Nama, Nama off of Altastrada, which is a sushi bar, and it, it's it really it's really bar. intimate, and it's a great place to go for a date. You know, something that is just a little bit more classic and intimate and mm-hmm. sexy too. Mm-hmm. And then we met Derek Watson, who was at uh, Morimoto and Mama Toro, two of you know America's best Japanese restaurants. He was the chef of both of those at different times in his career, mm-hmm. and he was looking to potentially move to Washington D.C. And when we met Derek, it was just it was kismet, and we we hired him right away. And we traveled, and we ate, and we developed the menu for Namako. And it's been uh, it's been a great start. It's only a month old, so we're still in our infancy, but it's been a great start. So let's talk about the menu of Namako, how you put it together. I mean, Alex, I definitely want to hit these sort of really umami flavors that you're doing for dessert. But let's talk about the menu and what you served there because we didn't even look at the menu before we went because we were just getting fed. And so, but we had an amazing array of dishes and really 
I think what's really interesting about the way you're serving your sushi, and this is saying this after eating sushi, you know, all around the world, the temperature yep. is so key, and you guys are hitting it at the perfect spot. So well, how are you, you doing but that? But it's not just thank the you, temperature yeah. of the sushi. It's the temperature it's also, of the, the rice. rice. The rice is key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been, you know, we talked about this a little bit when you got to come for dinner. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been a, a fan and a lover of Japanese food and Japanese cooking um, since I'm little. Uh, my mother introduced it to us when we were fairly young. And as I've, as I've eaten sushi, one of the things, and as I've, as I've met more sushi chefs over the over my, you know, career, one of the things that really, uh, you know, just resides with me, and it and it and it it's it's this sort of response that I have is is how good is the rice? You know, and you'll hear that from the sushi chefs. It's all the rice because we all buy the fish from basically the same places. Okay, you know, you got pro fish in here, but go yeah. ahead. Yeah, well, we do. Greg's writing down. Okay, yes, yeah, right. Yeah, he just yes. put a hit on Michael Schlau. Source the fish from the same. Place. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Source. That's what I meant. Source. <laughs> and then and from, um, and from many different places too. Exactly. And so. Uh, the rice is the differentiator, and we we've all been to that sushi restaurant where maybe they used the rice from last night, which is not so good. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want cold rice. I don't want hard rice. The rice should just be. I don't want to use the word warm, but just barely. Well, warm the, it's hard it. to explain it because it's not warm. It's warmish, but it's like a little bit above room temperature. Exactly. So it makes everything melt together really beautifully. And so, we also serve it in a very specific way. So for nigiri with rice, we don't serve big platters of the food because otherwise the rice is going to get cold. And so we do it just one piece at a time per person. And that way you get that perfect texture of the rice, the temperature, the fish being the right temperature too. And all together it just melts in your mouth. If if somebody wants a platter, we'll make it for them, of course. But otherwise we've seen this as an experience. It's the same thing as when you go to a sushi bar and you do omakase. They bring you one piece, one piece, one piece. And I just think it's a much more interesting way to eat. Are you guys doing a makasi there? We will begin that very soon. We're only, again, a month old. So right. we will also I mean, have an no omak- pressure, dude. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but we also have an omakase bar, which um, you'll be basically in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's six seats. Mm. There'll be no menu. And we'll launch that in a few weeks. Oh, I can't wait. So one of the things that gets overlooked a lot at sushi restaurants is the tempura, which is always on the menu. And you're, you know, and often the batter is heavy and kind of greasy. That tempura it was like eating a cloud. Well, thank you. Again, that's Derek and, and his hard work. And what he does is his little trick is it's actually two temporas. He makes tempura flakes and then a tempura batter. And you get both. So it's extra crispy and extra crunchy. Mm-hmm. But it's very, very light and Kind of addictive when you're in that station. You're always like, well, let me just throw one extra piece, one extra piece in there, and one extra dunk. Yeah, I don't know why I'm not hungry at the end of the night. (laughs) Um, Let's talk, Alex, about the dessert because in traditional Japanese restaurants, especially sushi restaurants, dessert is kind of a throwaway. It's like, yeah, I mean, that was one of the struggles in the beginning. We we didn't want to do a dessert menu in the beginning because. Every time we go out for sushi, we don't order dessert. Right. And so I said to Michael, hey, what if we do something totally different? And our corporate chef, Chris Watson, had the idea of doing soft serve. So for us, we didn't want to just do soft serve. We wanted to kind of turn it around and make it into something that was truly Japanese inspired. Mm -hmm. We had a product come in and Derek actually had us taste this honey miso truffle product, a little jar. And suddenly the idea came out from from Derek as well, that we should make an ice cream, a saucer flavor that kind of mirrors that. And so we worked on it for many weeks during the month of July and, mm-hmm. you know, just perfected the recipe. We, we continue to work on it. If there's a 
little tweak here and there, and we do that along with a really great sorbet. But mm-hmm. if you're if you're out there in Radio Land and you hear this, it's kind of hard to kind of wrap your head and your taste buds around this thing. But it is the most when you've had you know we had a lot of sushi, the most refreshing. Delicious way to wrap up a meal. It was well because it's not heavy. I think no, people yeah. think of soft serve as heavy. It's a heavier you know, ice cream. On a cone, you know what I mean? Not, yeah, it's heavy. yeah I, I think Alex isn't giving himself credit. I mean, it, the whole thing when I when I first tried, I was like, I don't know if we're going to do this or not. And then I tasted. I was like, this is absolutely so going good. on the menu yeah. because it also the garnishes of this. You know, you've got this honey miso truffle soft serve ice cream, which right away is you know is interesting to me. But then he garnished it with. You know, toffee and a little right. chocolate, chocolate and flavors, caramel yeah. and chocolate sauce. So you've got almost like addictive. a sundae. It, yeah. And then you take a bite of it and you're like, I never had anything like it before and I want to eat it again. Yes. And we see that people are actually buying the soft serve. They're wanting it. They want to have their meals end with a dessert at a Japanese restaurant. So I'm really psyched about that. Listen, we wrapped up the meal. Uh, well, you heard us. We were like, we have a business idea for you yeah. all. We're like, create a window. Right. You know. On the sidewalk. So, you know, but we just... had dueling spoons at the end there. Yeah, right? it was great. All right. Listen, guys, thank you both for coming in. We're Thanks so excited about the new us, concept. Yeah. Tell everybody, please, where we can find everything about what you're doing at Namaco, yep. uh, but also all the Michael Schlau restaurants. Well, so it's Namaco. We're on 14th Street at 1926. It's uh, 14th and U and com. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Schlau Restaurant Group. We have a bunch of other restaurants. We have Alta Strada here in D.C. and also out in Virginia. Mosaic. And Nama. And, you know, hopefully we'll be doing more restaurants here. We'll build, build it back up. We lost some restaurants during COVID. and. We'd love to see uh, you know new investment here. Build in back better. Yes, we're absolutely. here for it. And stay we'll, tuned because we're going to report back on the field trip to Sammy's that we're all going to do. <laughs> that's a whole other <laughs> story. Whole we have yeah. to tell that's everybody about show. Sammy's. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. another show. That'll be a whole show. One all last right. thing. We're going to be opening on Tuesdays for the first time this week, so it's a great night to come and check out the restaurant. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you for that. Okay. Nicholas. Yes. Hi. Let's booze it up. Next one for us. Yes. Right. We're going to move our way into the discovery series. So we're going to be discovering great bourbon whiskey here, mm-hmm. where we're talking about, um, obviously, a great tradition in the bourbon world. For this one, though, is about pushing the next boundary. We all know what, exactly what a, a good, well-blended uh, whiskey can do. Um, obviously, we take uh, aspects from the Scotch world and the world that they do for blending. Mm-hmm. Trying to create a, pro- a flavor profile that's complex. So we're going to be drinking a Discovery series here. This is going to be having a little bit more maple, dark chocolate, a more sophisticated palate. So as we're talking more sophisticated foods here, obviously we need to step it up a gear. Also with this, is going to be 114 proof. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got some great aged whiskey here. So this in Discovery 8 that we're trying in-house, we just launched that uh, two weeks ago mm-hmm. into the D.C. Maryland area, and it's on its way in Virginia locally. Um, so this is 66% of this is Kentucky. Great. So um, And then the rest has got a little bit of Indiana. There's a little bit of Ontario in here. So this is officially a blended whiskey, but we're not going to get into the rules and laws about how you name your whiskeys. <laughs> um, and then we're going to get into a little bit of Indiana at the end here. So... With us as a distillery, we want to make sure we're educating our team, our staff, and our consumers. So where, like I said earlier on, we put the mash bill on the side of the bottle so you realize why you like this. Or you're perusing the shells, and there's a clerk beside you saying, well, actually, I don't know what's inside it. It's that transparency that we want to have. However, within the team, though, we don't have one person doing all the blending. We actually do come together as a team. So is that unusual in the industry? So, yeah, we were one of the first from a major Kentucky brand to be able to put the mash bill on the side. And obviously, uh, copying us is flattery, and now it's becoming an industry standard, whether it's on a technical sheet and when we're training in-house in the hospitality world, or now this is on the bottle, it's here for you. Even got QR codes and things like that for the full entire dialogue of what is in the bottle. 
we want to make sure that we're being honest with our products. Very much like you would do on the, the side of your ingredients on your packages, you can see that on the side of our bottles. Well, I think you have a more educated consumer, and you also have a lot 100%. of competition, right? Yeah. There's a lot out there to drink. Mm-hmm. So the more people know, the more interested they are, the more vested they're in to And a it product. also comes down to what the grain ratios are inside it. Mm-hmm. I may prefer a bourbon that's got a little bit more rye in it or a little bit more wheat. And that you want to be a more delicate consumer with your money at the moment, especially in the current times. And so to make sure that you're, we're giving you the right tools to be able to move forward in your selections, uh, whether you're in a, a restaurant or a bar and the, the bartender's um, introducing it to you or whether you're in the store. So when we come together and I said we've got one master, uh, we don't have one blender. We have the entire team come together. So even I get to be part of it and we've got some of the best people in the game that come under our one roof, whether that's our master distiller, Steve Nally. Mm-hmm. He's a bourbon hall of famer and he made Maker's Mark for over 30 years. Um, and so we all get to uh, send out the little vials. Obviously, we can't all go to Kentucky right now, especially during the pandemic when we're doing the blending. Mm-hmm. And, and then it goes into a bracket series. We put the competition in there to make sure we can beat the competition on our blends. Well, okay, so we're we gonna, have to we're wrap you stop up. You there and we're Pass gonna, it around. We're going to show what's beating the competition. Okay. <laughs> and if we're still sober, we'll talk to Candace. <laughs> so, Candace. Hello. Y- Hi there. Let's start off with the fact that Kansas was Candace. I said Candace. It sounded like Kansas. <laughs> No, Kansas is Am a I wrong? state. Am I wrong? Taking back to elementary school. Kansas yeah. is yeah. a state. <laughs> Kansas, well, that's, Nikki's making fun of my speech impediment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that you were a, an HRIT professional. Healthcare. Healthcare. IT, Sorry, yes. healthcare okay. IT yes. professional. And now you're opening your own restaurant called Hey Julie. Yes. Right? Correct. Yes. And it's all it, yeah, because you went back to your roots. Yeah. Why don't we start from the start? Tell us about Certainly. it. Certainly. So, um, as you mentioned, I was born here in D.C. I grew up in the Mount Vernon community of southeastern Fairfax County. Mm-hmm. Um, both of my parents are originally from Accra, Ghana, and I grew up eating Ghanaian food or traditional way and then sometimes a little remixed. So, um, mm. what I wanted to do um, since I was very young was to introduce more people to Ghanaian food because mm-hmm. I didn't feel that it was something that a lot of people knew about. Even though here in the D.C. area we have one of the um, largest Ghanaian and West African populations. Right, but there's not a lot of restaurants. Right. There are Which is really interesting, yes. right? When you think about the, the broad depth and breadth of cuisines that are available, mm-hmm. not just in D.C., but in Virginia and Maryland, Maryland as well. Yes, there are some, but I think there is some hesitancy for some folks because – Maybe it's a little bit more traditional. Mm. And with my concept, what I try to do is marry the traditional with maybe a little bit, kind of remix it and make it a little new. Um, so, for instance, today, what I brought for you was um, watch Somebody, a. Somebody's got to take a bite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm glad be, you're just picking it up because that's be the way you eat. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> you just got to get in. So what do we have here? So you have um, watch a, which is um, in Ghana. It's our rice and peas. We make mm. it with black eyed peas. And then you have oxtail, which is not traditional to Ghana, um, some uh, pickled cabbage, which no. is something that mm-hmm. my mom would always do, brightens the plate. And it's also kind of a palate cleanser from the richness of the um, the oxtail. And then mm-hmm. um, a, in addition to that, we also have shito. Shito is our hot sauce. So mm-hmm. it is a slow roasted tomato, has habanero, ginger, cayenne. So you're um, making your own? Yes, okay. we make it. Um, and then also too, we're making it vegan because um, what I've done is a lot of the meal components are vegan. So um, with our concept, too, I forgot to explain this as well. It's a build-your-own concept, fast-casual concept. Okay, wait. I'm going to stop you because we have to take a commercial break. So when we come back, what I'd like to do is let's talk about 
your cooking. Yep. And then we'll tell how, the story of how you put it into a concept. Awesome. Okay. So we'll get yep. all the details. Yep. This is David and Nikki Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. We're eating Ghanaian food in yes. studio and it's gorgeous. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David, Nikki Nellis, Candace. I took a bite during the break. Awesome. Thank you. So, can we, well, can we go back to your origins? Because yeah. you were you were raised here. Yes. But mom was doing, was cooking Ghanaian food in the kitchen. Yep. And you learned about ingredients and you learned you learned about things that you just don't find in the supermarket here generally. You, you can find them, but not gotta, the many, not gotta, the regular supermarket. Right. Yes. You'd have to go to an international store. So how store. did you go about taking the things you learned from your mom and creating the food that you wanted to make? I think it actually came from her doing this. So mm -hmm. um, I know that for me, Thanksgiving included turkey and included um, sweet potato, but it also included watch it. It also included kanki. It included those things that we eat in Ghana, fried plantain. That was also part of my Thanksgiving. So mm -hmm. um, I knew that, again, as we've referenced here in the D.C. area, there are a lot of us that have similar first-generation, second-generation stories like myself, but yet it's not reflected in the food scene as well as it could be. Mm -hmm. um, and given that it hasn't been, I figured, why not? Make it happen. Okay, so let's talk about your concept. Yep. How did you decide? Because you're not just opening up a restaurant in the classic sense. You're yep. doing something, you have a concept. A concept, yes. So let's hear what the concept is. So it's a build your bowl type of concept. Right now we have three rice bases, a coconut rice, wache, which we have today, mm -hmm. and jollof rice, all of which I do vegan. Um, and then you have a choice of keeping your meal vegan. Can or, I ask a question? Yes. Are they traditionally not made vegan? I'm not a food historian. But okay, I was just I would, curious. So the reason, so I would say, traditionally now over time, people are tend to add meat and protein into a lot of their food. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, my uh, particular ethnic group, we're from the coast, um, so a lot of things um, have seafood or fish components to it. Okay, and also meat. But I think that that's something that's actually evolved over time. Not so, originally, exactly. Okay, so that makes over sense. time. Yes. People well, probably also with the access, more exactly. access to fish and meat. And refrigeration and exactly. all those types of things. All right, but yeah. so we go down the line. We've got yep. rice choices. Then so you have what? your rice choices, and then you have two stew options. Um, we have an agushi stew. In Ghana, we say agushi. Uh, Nigeria, they say agushi. So it's a tomato-based stew. Um, there's spinach in there, and the agushi is actually a melon seed that's been dried and powdered, and it thickens it, and it kind of gives it a little tang. Mm. Um, there's some palm oil in there, too. I know folks tend to... Uh, steer clear palm oil, but it gives it a really nice flavor okay. um, profile. So I must be stupid. Why do they steer clear palm oil? I don't know. I think Heart it got disease. a bad rap. It know. got a bad rap a yep. while. I, I think it it got a bad rap. Yep. You know, but because. we could, we could go oh, well. we could go down that. Yep. It's a rabbit hole. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, Thank but you. I I do model. I don't use all palm oils. A lot of folks may uh, tend to use more palm oil. I like to kind of do a combination. I use it more so for the flavor. Okay. Um, so then there's also an okra and eggplant stew. You can mm. choose between either two of those. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other protein options are chicken or salmon. And I've also done tilapia. Since so you just walk down the road, you walk down and you just, it's a scoop and serve kind yep. of concept, yep. right? That is amazing. Yep. So now what's our, what's your next step? So like, my what's next happening? step is um, I'm actually uh, signing a lease. Um, and a spot um, on um, Colorado Avenue here in Northwest. <laughs> Great. Yes. Yeah, so I'm really excited. Um, folks have been asking since we did our first festival four years ago, where's your restaurant? And now I can say that I have a restaurant. So, okay. Now, are you going to do more pop-ups in the interim? I am going to be doing more pop-ups in the interim. So actually, um, 
Sunday, we are um, going to be at Sandlot Georgetown. I'll uh-huh. be there from 12 to 6. Great. Um, I have a collective of folks that are going to be there with me. Um, and then also, too, I'm working on a project with A.J. Johnson at Serenata. Doing a Who just there. won yeah. yes, at the Embassy Chef Challenge. Yes. She won for the Dominican Republic yes, Best Beverage. Yep. So a lot of things going on, a lot of exciting things. Okay, great. Off air, I want to will, talk about a couple but, things. Will there be uh-huh. a lot of, you know... DoorDash kind of stuff too. Will that be, yes, is that definitely. What you encourage? Okay. That, so the spot that I have is is pretty small. Hopefully, I can grow into a bigger space, but it is pretty small. So I imagine a lot of folks are going to be doing online delivery. Okay, let's tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram yes. and online so that they can stay up with what you're doing. Certainly. So on Instagram, I can be found at Hedgele H E D Z O L E. And on my website, HedgeleyAfroEats.com. Excellent. Thank you, Candace. Thank you. So right. excited for yes, you. Thank you. All right. Nicholas Lewis. What Nicholas, is this? What okay. do we got here? You only got a couple seconds. Okay. And then we'll come to you at the very end. Okay. So what did you pour for us? So I've just poured for you. You said it's gourd season. We're going out to the pumpkin patch. We're going to be picking up some apple cider. So I just warmed it up and then added some whiskey. Excellent. This has got our fusion series. It's, oh, th- you know what this is great for when you're feeling funky? Like a little cold. Mm, I think good. it's good for, this is definitely this fire is pit yeah. drinking. Boy, that's right? good. All yeah. right. Greg Caston. I need you to come up to the dun, mic. Dun, dun, dun. The man is here. Yeah, and Dwayne. Dwayne. So, it, so the real man. Just, okay. <laughs> just to, here, um, sorry, Candace, can we switch out? Yeah, sorry. great. Um, Dwayne, you want to come soon? Come on, Dwayne. Let's get her done. That's who you want. Okay. Dwayne's the expert. We want everybody. So, Greg, let's do a quick 411 on you because you've got this empire and uh, I want to kind of position you and then we can talk about the ninth annual Shuck It. Mm-hmm. So if I could change the subject for one second Uh-oh. and yes. just comment to you on how much I always learn when I listen to your show and pay attention. You know, I, you know. so I'm from Boston originally, and uh-huh. I, I listen to Michael Schlau coming down from Boston and what he's done and where he is. My family's business was on 14th Street 40 years ago, and I was able to watch that happen. I listen to Candace, and, and she talks about refrigeration and fish in Ghana. And here I am, you know, we're trying, we're in the smoked fish business as well, and we're thinking about that and how the taste differences across continents uh, are so fun. I just listen to you guys, and every single time I'm like, boy, that gets my creative juices flowing. And I always learn what's going on because you guys know everything that's out there. Look, that was my okay, two-minute right, 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 in the mail. Thank yes, you so thank much. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm just going to tweak one of the things you said. Somebody in this room knows everything that's going on out there. The other person is learning along with you. <laughs> and I feel sorry for Nikki. Uh, you know, the show's called Fooding the Beast, and clearly I'm the foodie. So, yes, yeah. exactly. No but question. But thanks, Greg. All right. So, All right, so Greg, listen, you are... You have just said it. You've been a part of the D.C. food, wine, and hospitality scene in multiple ways for a very long time, uh, ProFish being your beginnings. 1988. But now, yeah. Now you're in the restaurant industry and have been also for quite some time. Let's just talk about what the different restaurants are, and then we'll lead into Shuck It and what's happening. So it, it, it's the four restaurants, and they're family-owned, and, and they all started with my uncle, who's you know on his 85th year. and Is really that Uncle Tony? Year. Big Uncle Tony, we got to pay respects right. when respects are due. <laughs> Tony and Joe's and Nick's Riverside Grill, both located in Georgetown's Washington Harbor, right mm-hmm. on the water. And then uh, next to ProFish, which is over in Ivy City, we started Ivy City Tavern. I brought with me today the uh, oyster extraordinaire, Shucker, who you're going to meet in a minute, Dwayne Gator Thompson, who started at ProFish and worked his way over to run the Ivy City Market, which is downstairs from ProFish. And 
helps us uh, deliver products to the public. And ProFish also has a website that people can go online and order fish. Which is kind of what you guys started during the pandemic, right? That's exactly Because you weren't doing that before. Can I just jump in and say, I used to take my dates to the Dancing Crab Dude, which was... 40 as, years ago. As I was driving I want to say that Gator, I uh, totally missed that. So. Yeah. As I was driving I Gator up Wisconsin Avenue, I pointed to the various places that no longer exist. <laughs> Poor Gator. People do not realize <laughs> I, that this was right. one heck of a strip. It was. I said to Nikki, I've staggered out of this. <laughs> um, so, okay, um, so how do we get to – I want to give a shout-out to The Point yes, because that is such a gorgeous space. The Point is my space. last newest one, and we're working on a deck where we're going to get – a nice space to have a wedding out over the Potomac. It's going to be really fun. Going to be a nice place. It's a already nice, a nice place. Um, part of Washington. I mean, and, the view out that Buzzard is... Point is an unknown corner of D.C. Mm-hmm. And when they get done with the last of the construction, it'll also be the closest to the to the Arlington and and to the uh, well. It's going to connect, right? The wharf. It's going to and, and Navy it's Yard. All it's gonna all going to connect. And it is the terminus for the Anacostia Walkway, oh, so which fabulous. goes all the way. Meanwhile, we've eaten there, Park. and it's. I mean, the food was... Oh, we've eaten at all your restaurants. It's just a great experience. I mean, we just ordered from Ivy City all smoked fish for the holiday. So, you know. Thank you very much. Yes, you know. You know. And Gator had something to do with that. Gator, let's talk about you. How'd you get into Wait, wait, wait. I want to know why a a guy named Shucker is called... A guy named Shucker. A guy named Gator is is a Shucker. What's the Gator part? Um, Gator just come from... uh, yeah, speak into the microphone. He's oh, shy. Just like that. Yeah. Don't be shy, dude. Tell him, Gator. Let your personality shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Gator come from a long uh, name. Father's is a nickname. Okay. Just okay. a family nickname. <laughs> Gator family started nickname. with us at, at ProFish, worked literally from the bottom up, and he is now like seafood knowledge extraordinaire and very shy unless you get him in person. I okay, well, I got you in go. person. Come on. Go. So, Gator, let me ask you. When Greg says you're super knowledgeable about seafood, what what is it about seafood that really like turns you on that you want to share? What what information is important to you? Um, I really like like started off like with um, shucking oysters, scaling fish, gutting it, and I could tell you like a little bit of things about the fish when you come in the seafood market. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about shucking, right? Because that is a real skill that a lot of people. Do not have a lot of people missing fingers. Do and not well, have. not just that, but also you know, like you go to I, lots of people are serving oysters now all around the city. But sometimes you know you put that oyster in your mouth and you're like, oh, sand, it's gritty, right, sand yeah. shell. What can you do to make sure that there's no sand or shell in your oyster? Well, um, the way I suck the oysters, I start from the hinge and I open it up. And when you when I open it up, you're just gonna have all oysters, no shell, no mm-hmm. anything. Okay, but how do you keep them clean? The key, Nikki, is yes. in there's a little bit of wash. We'll do a saltwater wash before they actually go into the display where you'll see them. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to use chlorine if you can get away with it. No, chlorine right. actually kills the oyster or dries them out mm. or her out a little faster. I think mm-hmm. they're asexual. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be pronoun improper. <laughs> but uh, the, the lawsuit just came in. Yeah, uh, and um, and so uh, what Gator's telling you about is the key is is as he goes in the back and shuck and and opens, prize open that oyster, it's the least amount of friction within the shell and the oyster itself. So it creates mm-hmm. the least amount of sparks from the shell, which you might consider sand or gritty within it. But isn't there isn't there some process you go through wise, to get them to expel sand? There's a wives' tale with baking soda. Right, that, put them in water you know, and they spit it out. You can put them in some salt water and baking soda, but but 
today with the harvested oyster and the way all of these uh, farms are harvesting, a lot of it's um, grown in cultured bags. So there's or no sand. It's in a tumbler, and it's spitting that sand out. And an oyster is usually uh, going through all its water within 24 hours. It's cycling a gallon of water. So it's continually, if you have it, in fresh water. So even when they pick it up and put it in their holding tank, if it's six hours, a lot of that purge is going to happen. We're going to talk about Shucket when we come back, but a little bit more because oyster shells are good for the bay and go back in the bay. Real Oysters quick. are good for the bay. Yeah, Can why? I just tell you something I learned about oyster shells yesterday as I was— There's something you didn't I know? shudder to say, touring the Blue Plains plant. There are now carbon tax credits in 2023 that are going to be available to not release carbons back into the atmosphere. An oyster shell has carbon— and so if you take your oyster shells and bury them and can prove it, I think the federal government's going to give you Wait, money bury back. them like in the water? In because the, in the ground. Wait, they because they them? create, don't they create new they, oyster beds, the they, shells? Correct. That's our home was built in 1880. It was on a farm. And when you dig in our backyard or our garden, oyster shells come up all over the place. Because Native Americans would go to an oyster bed and there might have been a freshwater creek that at that time was brackish, is. right? Yeah. People don't realize the British invaded Washington. Wait, um, I got, I got to take. He's like, thank screwed you. Screwed everything up. <laughs> Nick is like, Coming thank you. I'll take Anacostia that. Coming up the Anacostia River. Nick, okay. did you light the fire in the Capitol, okay. Nick? We have to take a break. Okay. We're going to come back. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. You're getting an education in studio. We'll be back in just a sec. Uh, all right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis and uh, Greg Caston and Dwayne Gator Thompson. We're talking now, Shuck It, which is an so much fun, a great event that happens down at the Georgetown Harbor at Tony and Joe's. Greg, while Gator is shucking oysters, why don't you tell us about well, shucking? Wait, before Gator starts shucking oysters, okay. Gator, what kind of oysters are you shucking? And what kind of oysters do you prefer to shuck? Do you have like a favorite oyster? Uh, yes, I do have a favorite oyster. The oysters right here right now is Whitestone. Mm-hmm. Those are from Virginia. Okay. So that's a real nice oyster. It's my favorite oyster that I love shucking is Raspberry Point. Mm-hmm. It's a PEI oyster from Canada. Okay. A little bit salty. So they're brinier. Yes. Are they a meat? They're a larger, meatier oyster, or are they smaller? Yeah, it's a large oyster inside, but it's a smaller shell, but it's all oyster. Because I hear a lot about those. Like yes. people like them a lot. But I love Virginia oysters. Yeah, Virginia I, oysters is pretty good. They're different. They're yes. not as um, they're meatier, and they don't they don't have the same kind of salinity. As no. I think from oysters up. All right, let's let Greg promote this event. Okay, this is, and you get to shuck it. There's a lot to tell. Yeah. The warmer the shock. water, the meatier the oyster. Okay. Mm. Uh, uh, shuck it. Eight beers on, uh, on tap, all inclusive price, seventy-five dollars. Uh, festival oyster festival where Gator and twelve others like him will see who the best shucker in our in our organization is. Is it a competition? We have eight different. No, it's an internal competition. Oh. There's two bands. Uh, eight oysters and uh, eight draft beers and a lot of fun. Just a lot of people who have been coming for years go. We put furniture all around. You sit back, kick in. Everyone has enough. You got music. You're on the river. You're living life. Life and is good. And you guys good. sell out. I think we you're almost sell sell out. Out. Yeah, sold out. Yeah, we try not to sell too many tickets because for us, it's not about being bumper to bumper. It's about, you know, enjoying what the bay has to offer. Can and, you tell people about the right way to eat an oyster? Because we... We take it from the shell, but I see people Ooh. with their forks and the dipping and all that stuff. Is there a right way? Uh, you know, a real man's going to eat it from the shell. But oh, you're that's, talking to a real man. That's right. all I'm saying. A, a, a gentle lady would have a fork and a mignon, uh, mignon sauce and, and probably slurp it down that now, way. Now, how do you feel about sauces? How do you feel? Like, 
Gator, what do you think? You want it fresh? Uh, yes, I have, rather have it fresh. You'd like, rather have it fresh. No yeah. sauces for you. No sauces. Okay, maybe like, a little. Like oh, Gator's a purist. What about a little sprinkle of horseradish? Horseradish. Oh. Uh, He's like, no. Hotel no. sauce. No. Okay. Meaning that it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. I like a little lemon. I don't want so the Gator cocktail is, sauce. I want the horseradish. You like the horseradish? I love horseradish. Gator gets asked to shuck everywhere around town yeah. because he's so fast and yeah. so clean. He's, mm-hmm. He right is now. understating no. He also talent. sounds like the guy that invented the phrase, oh, shucks, because yeah. he's so <laughs> shy. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun to watch because at work he's not yeah. so shy. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, not everybody gets to do this, you know? So I think fun. Gator worked down at, uh, at Ivy City, man. But, you know, but listen, it is great, to your point earlier before we took a break, there are more oysters popping up at restaurants now all around the city, you know, and nationally. And I think if you look... Internationally. Right, but if you look 20 years ago, there were just restaurants that had oysters. And now it's a part of what people serve, which is great for the environment because oysters are natural aquifers for our waterways, and then if you take the shells and put them back in the water, don't they create perfect beds for the oysters? So everything about, they're amazing creatures. And and what's truly wonderful, too, is the entrepreneurial spirit. There are a number of these farms that, you know, even I myself, 10 years ago, said they'll never make it, that are now economically viable, good, clean livings for people, Mm -hmm. and doing great things for the environment. So you're admitting that you're not always right. My wife reminds me of this daily. daily. But you're really bringing up a great point, Greg, which is that um, these small oyster farms help change the context of everything. And it's no different. We see it in craft liquors, spirits. We see it in craft beer. We see it in wines. We see it in other craft food products. We see it in Candace, right? We see these things that are popping up now that maybe 30 years ago people would have been like, yeah, good luck with that. But people want it. They want to do better. Well, some of that is is also just it's a question of intimacy with the provider. Because when you go into a big supermarket, you know, you don't know where stuff came from. This way we know who cooked it at Candace's. We know who shucked it. We know who sourced it. We know who, you know. Where the grains are. We know the grains. So as I'm learning the larger retail distribution chain, Mm -hmm. stay as local and as hands-on with your food supply as you can. It's smart for you. All right, we're going to wrap. Do the shuck it basics right now. Where do we get tickets? Uh, You can go online to Mm TonyandJoes.com, and you'll see a sign there for shuck it. You can go ahead and buy a ticket right there. You can go to fishandfire.com, which is the name of our restaurant group. Or you can call 202-944-4545, 202-944-4545. And, of and course, all the information is on the list, are you on it.com, so you won't plug. miss a thing there. All right, Nicholas, let's go back to you. Oh, so everything has been delicious, but you poured mm. us one more. What are we yes. having last? So this is a little treat uh, that we're going to be launching in two weeks' time. Mm-hmm. So we've got our collaborative series where we like to – we've been talking about this complexity and these designs – these different whiskeys or the food styles, and it's about breaking down boundaries for us. Mm-hmm. It's so in this case, we've taken a 10 year Tennessee whiskey, we finished it for um, between 26 and 16 months in okay. Armagnac casks. Wow! So, this is our collaborative series Chateau de la Borde Armagnac cask finish. Wow! So, some of the crazy where we're talking about being um, 
It's I'll not only the name, it's the way you say it. <laughs> I try. Like I said, it's drinking I know, it all that, it's, it's drinking I mean, all that If scotch. you were from the Bronx, it wouldn't have the same cachet. I'm sorry. No, I'm just trying to make up for a drinking whiskey. <laughs> right. um, so with, uh, with this and how we are pushing these boundaries, like we're saying, we want to make sure we know where we're doing it. And also, quick shout out to my father-in-law, who's on the Shellfish Commission up in Connecticut, oh. um, who's helping out actually the local waterways, things like that, cleaning up where you've got the pollution. And yes, all of these uh, shellfish have been incredible to the, the local area. So and Nicholas is sucking up to his father-in-law. <laughs> right, okay. there we go. Um, so going back to the whiskey, though. Um, so what we've learned um, with our finishes and our blends is traditionally, and especially if you look at uh, other whiskeys from around the world, say you've got scotch. They use sherry casks. They use port casks. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to try and bring that aspect into the bourbon world as well. Whilst why, collaborating why Armagnac? With people. Why In this that? instance, they needed some barrels from us. So with bourbon, to be a bourbon, you've got to have a new American charred oak. So in once no, we, we haven't talked about it. char at all. We no. didn't even get into that. That's a whole other rabbit hole. Yeah, uh, we'll have to come back for that I know, one. yes, absolutely. Um, so in this instance, they wanted some barrels from us. And we're like, well, can we have them back after you've used them? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we've got some we're just about to use right now. So within minutes of them dumping them out, uh, by our rules and regulations of what we expect uh, within our company, is we get them to saran wrap them, spray them with argon on the inside. Mm. And if it's domestic, then we'll put them on a refrigerated truck. And what that does is, just like you're doing with your food, you want it as fresh as you can by the time it gets to you. So it preserves it 100%, but we don't want them to wash them out. We don't want them rinsed or anything. So within minutes of us receiving them, we can put whiskey inside them and put them back in the rickhouse and let it do its thing. Cool. There's about a gallon's worth of that original liquid soaked into that wood. Mm. So you get all that flavor and you get the nuances of the Armagnac in this case, or whether we're doing a wine finish. And you get to have that more complex style. So we were talking about desserts earlier. Mm-hmm. Having a whiskey with just a, a nice, well-made chocolate on the side, or we're talking about the ice creams and the different flavors. Mm. That's where we're talking about this collaborative series, like really pushing that next boundary and still keeping it a, just over 100 proof. So it's still got some oomph on it. So if we do want to make, say, a New York sour. 100 proof has a lot of oomph. <laughs> sounds a, like a, a lot a of oomph to me. All right, me. Nicholas, tell yeah. everybody, please, where we can find you online yes. and where we can find you on Instagram because we don't have time to list all no. the places you're uh, being Bardstown served. Bourbon Company uh, uh, on uh, .com, uh, Bardstown Bourbon for the main HQ Instagram. Mm-hmm. My Instagram is always love whiskey, so you can see and subscribe to my link tree and then you can see the local events. Excellent. Thank you so much. Do you have anything right, yeah, to say before we wrap Very quickly, uh, the war in Ukraine is about eight months old. I keep banging this drum. They're kicking Russia's butt, which is great. But you're talking about millions of people displaced. So mm. whether you're giving money to help them through World Central Kitchen or through the Red Cross or through another charity, keep your wallets open. I don't care if it's a buck, but they they deserve our support all the way through the end of this thing. Yes. And uh, lastly, I want to remind everybody that it is DMV Recovery Week here in uh, the District Montgomery County in Virginia. There are events going on all over the city and virtually that really will help uh, restaurants and you at home eliminate waste from your fridge and from your pantries and then also make sure that that food gets to people who really need it. There are some amazing organizations doing incredible work, and uh, DMV Recovery Week is making sure that that is happening. So stay tuned for that. You can find out everything you heard about here in studio uh, on the list, areyouonit.com. 
Of course, you want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter because I am eating well and doing fabulous things. Uh, don't forget to tune in on Tuesdays to Industry Night on Real Fun DC at 7 p.m. And you can always download the list. Uh, you can always download Foodie and the Beast after the episode airs on Sundays at 11 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to everybody in studio. Uh, and be safe out there. Have a delicious week.